Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so that you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, countless exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that thrives on you not really getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love, play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give you a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get the top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts that have been on the show, and you will see what simple health can be. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horaski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 62. In today's episode, I interview periodization wizard, Kirsten Jensen. Be sure to stick around for the end of the episode to hear about Kirsten eating raw garlic and honey, the flexible periodization method, and a few thoughts on Rumi. Alrighty guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast and on the line today I have Karsten Jensen. Now Karsten, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. <laughs> health journey, it, a, a, a very, very big turnaround was uh, when I took a holistic lifestyle coach level one in 2003 in Eastbourne. I, I learned a lot there and you know, some courses claim that they were a transformational experience, but this this definitely was a transformational experience in terms of, you know, eating organic foods and, and overall eating healthier. I've been an athlete my or, or yeah, done competitive sports for, for many, many years, so always been somewhat healthy, but that was that was a big turnaround. And that's led you down, I'm sure, a crazy path uh, over the last, uh, what, 13 or so years then. What has maybe been like some of the biggest changes that you've made to your health on that journey recently? Recently, it's more more small changes. I would say no, nothing major that stands out except for except for that. Well, then what are what are maybe I, some of the small changes that you've really uh, either honed in on or just uh, mm-hmm. tweaked to uh, to your lifestyle even? Tweaked your lifestyle. Lately, we've we learned about raw garlic and honey. Yeah. Example. So we do. We do. My wife and I. We do raw garlic and honey in the morning. I, I grate ginger and put it in the water when I drink it. Those are probably some of the the newest changes. Uh, the raw garlic and honey is not really a pleasure, I must say. <laughs> but uh, the well, raw, what, what raw do you ginger, get out of it then? Even huh? What do, What do you do it for? Like, what do you? What are the benefits that you've seen for yourself? I, I've literally only done it for a week, so I, oh, I don't okay. see any see any benefits. You know, something about. Um, we read that it's immune system uh, or long-term prostate health and, and something like that. That's that's why we started it. Interesting. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm a fan. I, th- I think raw garlic, raw honey are yeah. awesome things to begin with. Uh, and I'm sure, yeah, doing that is not going to be bad for the health in any way. No, no, no. Hurts the stomach a little bit, but but um, it it dis- disappears quickly. Okay. Okay. I drink some water with it. Yeah. Um, I've also uh, started to practice the the Wim Hof breathing. Yes. In the morning, three sets. Uh, I find that very very nice. And lately, when it's gotten a little warmer up in Toronto, I started doing it outside. Okay. Which I just did like like an hour ago. And it felt pretty good then. Mm-hmm. Felt nice, great. Nice and charged up, ready to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. actually, that could be a great thing that we could even dive into because one of the things you're big on is periodization and using this uh, really as a principle through a a lot of training programs. And I'm sure you're going to tell us more, but how can you even apply that to some of the breathing practices that you're doing then too? Mm. Or maybe even let's back up a little bit first. Let's go into really your definition of what periodization would be. 
I can I can answer the first question of, about breathing. Okay. Because we we did look at that and and um, and I you know I guess I should answer what the definition of periodization is. It's a division of of a longer period into smaller periods. That's what the word means. A division into periods. And these smaller periods then have different goals, structures, and content of the training program. And these periods should then be sequenced in such a way that selected physical parameters are maximized on a predetermined date. That's really the definition of it. So in, and one of the things we looked at when I started to, to look on breathing in this context was that for many physical abilities that I know that that many people have learned, the changes happens over weeks and months. How you would do it, you would, for example, work on. When you said a lot of your listeners are, are practitioners, mm -hmm. you mean do you mean Czech practitioners? Uh, Czech practitioners, yes, uh, but any, uh, many, other any, other. I mean, I'm a physical well. okay. therapist as well, and I yeah. uh, I know other physical therapists that listen to the show and so on okay. and so forth. Yeah. So maybe maybe in the beginning of a longer cycle, as an issue, as a focus on stability, uh, gradually moving into structural strength and hypertrophy, potentially moving into maximal strength and power. So that last changes over weeks and months. What I've found is for the breathing techniques that I know anyway, uh, the changes are more within the week, uh, particularly between recovery and and um, and training. So there are breathing techniques that are mainly for recovery. Uh, for example, uh, one of the techniques that I'm familiar with is called heart breathing, which is a, a way of breathing to reestablish heart coherence and affect the hormonal profile. On the other end of it, uh, we worked a lot on breathing techniques to, to maximize strength and power. So techniques that increases intra-abdominal pressure and intrathoracic pressure. We've also worked uh, somewhat with uh, respiratory muscle training, which is not per se, you could say a breathing technique, but it is, you know, you can apply that, that mask or you can, you could consciously inhale and exhale through the nose, which uh, on a side note is, is very well scientifically documented for effect in terms of endurance performance. Um, with the mask or with the nose? With the mask, at? with the mask. So, you know, you hear from time to time on Facebook, oh, that mask, it doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. It actually does work, and there's a lot of studies on it. And it does not necessarily improve VO2 max, which some companies claim, but it does increase endurance performance. Okay, you answered my question, because that's what I was going to yeah. say. I've, I've seen both sides of the coin there, but the, the VO2 yeah. max one is the one where I've seen, well, it doesn't really do that. But either way, I imagine uh, when you restrict the breathing in any way like that, it's... I feel like it can't not give some sort of benefit to increasing uh, just endurance, anything as you go. Yeah, and it, it, the first last review I read on it, it gave a really good explanation on on why they think it works. It has to do with that during a, a long-term endurance performance, at some point in time, the respiratory muscles get uh, tired. And at that point in time, because the respiratory muscles get prioritized over arms and legs, the blood is shunted from the arms and legs, relatively speaking, to the respiratory muscles. That's called the metaboreflex. And at that point, then the arms and legs will move more towards anaerobic work because it gets these muscles get legs oxygen. And, and that's the time where time to exhaustion uh, approaches, so to speak. And the thought is that by strengthening the respiratory muscles, the metaboreflex can be delayed or even avoid it, so the blood, quote-unquote, the blood stays in the arms and legs. That's how the scientist believes that the respiratory training works. Now, do you think that that would have... Obviously, for an endurance athlete, that's going to have profound benefits. But what about talking like more of an anaerobic uh, or lactic threshold athlete where you're doing maybe more that five-second, ten-second yeah. bout or even up to maybe a minute or two minutes versus beyond that period of time? We haven't worked with it that long to really, really could say that for sure. Uh, the best way to answer it, I think, is to say that they find that the respiratory mask, it, uh, it makes heavy breathing less uncomfortable. 
Okay. Meaning that when you do the, the high-intensity anaerobic workloads and you normally would be gasping for air and would feel really uncomfortable, having done that respiratory training could, could reduce that sense of, of discomfort, potentially allowing you to work longer on it. Interesting. Interesting. And I guess that's going to have even that, that uh, mental aspect of it too, where if it yes. feels that much easier when you're in the event versus yeah. just in training. Uh, that that can't be a bad thing as you're going either. <laughs> no, no, that can't be a bad thing. It's a very important part of it, the mental aspects, for Interesting. sure. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I want to dive into a little bit more on periodization. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things I think that always comes up is, okay, this is the best periodization program. No, yes. this one is. No, this one is. Yes. You, is that something you could kind of uh, expand upon? Like what really makes up uh, maybe quote unquote the best periodization program that that you feel. Yeah, for, for, first of all, it's the wrong question. Okay. The best periodization program doesn't exist. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what, the best program doesn't exist, and uh, I can answer that from two sides. Uh, first of all, uh, I was commissioned by the Danish Sport Federation. My da- Dan- Denmark is my native country. A few years ago, to write a book on periodization. And one of the th- things they wanted to find out was exactly that, what is the best system. And as I dived into a lot of the literature and the results came out in, in all directions, so to speak, uh, I realized there, there is no best system. And I kind of I spoke to the guy that, that was my contact and, and they, accept, they accepted that idea. And the, the reason that there is no best system can be explained through the principle of accommodation. Familiar with the principle of accommodation overall? Yes, but yeah. please go into it um, just so that everybody kind of has yeah. uh, that frame of reference for where you're talking about here, please. Yeah, so imagine a, a graph that on the horizontal axis there is a, a time or the training load. So that would be a number of sessions or weeks that someone is using the same training program and it doesn't have to be the exact same program. It can be like, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday with some variation between Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And on the vertical axis is performance gains. And then the, the graph is like this and everybody that I've spoken to, they have tried this, that in the beginning, the performance gains are large and then they gradually taper off. So when you ask people, have you ever tried making good gains on a new program, say yes. Have you ever tried then you know, using this program over some weeks and then found that you reach a plateau? Yes, they say that's the principle of accommodation. Or in more, more technical terms, according to Sassiorski's book, that it's a, that the response of a biological system to a constant stimulus decreases over time. And, and for that for that reason, there's no best program either. So that when you used any system for a period of time or a program for a period of time, you, you tend to plateau using that system and you would want to do something else. And, that, and it's even discussed in some of the literature that try to test periodization systems against each other is that, you know, they may take a group that have, are used to linear periodization and then they do a, a block periodization on them and they see gains. And what they might really see is just a, an effect of a change in periodization systems. Now, it also has to do with uh, the uh, the training level of the the athlete or client. Is that not, not all periodization systems are equally good for everyone. Some of the systems are, are based on really high volume, high intensity workloads on a very narrow um, focus in, in terms of physical ability and abilities and only advanced athletes can handle that. And now, uh, all of this basically is in your book then too, correct? It is in the Danish book. It's not okay. in, in my, uh, the, the, the book, The Flexible Periodization Method. Yes came out in 2010 okay. and I have, I have a lot of studying and, and refinements in 2010. Mm-hmm. So the newest version of our work is in our manuals. Okay. So it's essentially the, we have 11 manuals that together consist the flexible periodization method version two. 
Excellent. Okay. Very. And yeah, so I'll make sure put uh, links to those in the show notes for everybody who wants to dive a little deeper uh, into periodization, which I, I really think that anybody, whether you're training for major sport competition or not, periodization uh, really should be part of your your daily practice when it comes to your movement practices. Uh, yeah. And could you expand upon why that still is so important, whether you're a high-level athlete, like even a weekend warrior, or just somebody who's looking to stay healthy and feel pretty good throughout life? Mm, yeah, I would like to back up a little bit in the, in the beginning of your questions because some some trainers are still contemplating, should I use periodization or not? But if you think that is actually also the wrong question, interestingly enough, <laughs> because uh, if you think of the definition of periodization as different periods with different goals, structures, and content of the training, that means that if a practitioner ever make any changes to the training program, then there is in fact a new period with new content of the training. And this, this practitioner is applying periodization I'm going to assume that most of us sometimes make some form of change to the training program. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not really about if we are using periodization. It's more about how we're using periodization and what results we're seeing and what takes some people down the wrong path. And, and I understand that because not a lot of people go beyond that level is that most trainers are stuck in the system's so they think they have to choose between linear, daily undulating and, and that. And they say, oh, these don't really fit the people that I work with. So they tend to forget about the systems and they just do whatever they are doing. And I'm sure in most cases uh, at a very, very high level, qualified level, not realizing that they actually are applying periodization. We're looking first and foremost uh, of periodization as a strategy or a principle, like you said in the beginning, Nick. A periodization is a strategy for organizing long-term training or a principle for organizing long-term training. And it works by dividing that long period into shorter periods with different goals, structures, and contents of the training. And then, obviously, from that realization and to having actual training programs, there's a lot of decisions to be made. And, and periodization then is a series of, of principles that guide you to make those decisions. It's not fixed systems. It, it's more like a set of principles. And you can use uh, the ones that apply to your situation. And, and, and to answer the last part of your question, whenever, and this is our, our opinion at the moment anyway, Whenever we work with someone who wants to improve any physical quality, periodization is relevant. Uh, you know, some of the principles are relevant because it's also about the general adaptation syndrome that uh, developed mental training loads should be alternated uh, with training loads that allows the body to recover pretty much. Only if you work with, and in the example might be, be seniors. I have a, a grandfather who's 97 at least up to very, very uh, uh, few years ago were, were doing mobility exercises to stay healthy. He doesn't need to paradise because he doesn't, he's not trying to improve anything. But whenever you, you want to improve anything, strength, endurance, flexibility, whatever it might be, it's worth paradising. So, Carson, that brings up one thing, uh, and especially the one thing that you said in there uh, that at the very end there that I'm really intrigued by because, okay, Strength, yes, when people periodize. Endurance, yes. yes, people periodize. But mobility, flexibility, uh, warm-ups, like these are all, I, I feel like, untapped things that people just, okay, it's the same thing, rinse, lather, repeat, day in and day out, when they're yeah. making all of these other progressions and using these principles that you talk about along that way. So can you yeah. please kind of dive into th those components uh, used under that veil of periodization, yes. please? Mm -hmm. Yeah, w one of the latest legs to the flexible periodization method is periodization of flexibility training. And it. Uh, I knew when I wrote the first book that it, periodization could and should be periodized. I just didn't know how at the time. 
so it, it began with me teaching a beginner Olympic weightlifting classes where I started to understand the pattern and see what happens, where I sometimes would see people that were very tiny. I thought, you're going to have a trouble here, buddy. You don't have any muscle. But that really wasn't a problem if they were, were flexible enough and, and coordinated and they came to the sessions, then they would actually learn it. No big problem. What really inhibited people was lack of range of motion, lack of the ability to get into the start position when the bar is on the floor, lack of the ability to be in the bottom position of a squat. And there I realized, uh, which has now has become the fifth principle of the flexi flexible periodization method, that flexibility should be developed before strength, speed, power, and endurance. Because if you don't have the flexibility to perform the movements you want to be strong in, then you can't perform them safely and effectively. Now you can take a look, look within flexibility, the flexibility, and we can look at dynamic flexibility. So when there when there's normal movement, we can look at then what is referred to as static active flexibility. So this is the ability, according to Thomas Kurtz, the ability to assume and maintain extended positions using only the strength of the agonists. So think about a leg lift, you know, standing up and lifting your right leg to horizontal with, with a straight stance leg and, and straight knees on the leg that you're lifting. And then there's a static passive flexibility. It would be where, you know, any of us as practitioners, we would have the client on their back and lift the legs into that position. So the, the movement is generated with other forces than the agonists. Which like that's, could, that's mainly the classic form. Like that's the one everybody kind of does or knows about. Like you lean up against something and it just supports you fully rather than, uh, I think those dynamic and those static actives are probably often overlooked then too. They could be a little, could be a little bit over, could be a little bit overlooked. I remember one of some of the first um, things that I saw where I realized the order of that, and and I saw track athletes warm up, or I don't, it could not, it may not have been track athletes, but I remember the exercise, and they were doing like sagittal plane leg swings, front to back, hip flexion, hip extension, dynamically, and you watch what happens, and you see that most of the movement go into the low back. Have you seen that sometimes? Absolutely. That's yeah. for sure. And what you realize there is that they are doing this with tight hip flexors, most likely anyway. And and then you realize that the hip flexors should have been released first before they started doing that. And that's that's kind of when I when I formed the opinion that the order is static passive to remove passive insufficiency. Then you go to static active to learn to control the end ranges in either end and then you go to dynamic and then from dynamic you can increase the velocity going into ballistic flexibility if that's needed using a metronome uh, see now that's something like i recognize all of those but would have never pieced that together and like that's why i was yeah. very intrigued by uh when we spoke a little bit before like all right periodization for mobility flexibility uh and just warm-ups in general i guess uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I hope people understand that that alone can yes. then have such an, a tremendous carryover to those other performance factors of whether it be endurance, strength, power. Because now you're in that correct positioning, your muscles yes. are going to be able to be utilized that much more efficiently. Uh, I mean, this has so many profound effects. Yes, and it uh, when I after. I, I wrote that. I realized that one of the the other arguments of periodization, and then might be, for example, I'm I'm saying this because this this may be inspirational for someone who works with rehab, which I don't work with at all, is that whenever you are whenever you are looking at a topic and you realize that there should be period with A and there should be periods with B then that is that points you in the direction of applying periodization because you realize that as I'm working with this topic, there should be a division into periods. Does, does it make sense? So like you can say it's kind of system type of thinking. When does periodization apply? Is when you realize that this, this should be approached in different periods. And that's really outside any of the formed systems that we can read about. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, this is going to be 
um, I'm going to go in to work uh, soon and be like, okay, now now I'm going to start right. thinking about all of these things, like just yes. putting the practices into place. So uh, I, I always that's what I love, just being able to learn about all all different aspects of uh, health, and I think this is a tremendous one. Uh, Thank you. Looking now then on into that periodization, uh, how can this be used for recovery then as well? Because I think people are thinking about, like, and you touched upon it a little bit where it's, okay, you have maybe a, a, a strength, but then it's going to go into a little bit of a recovery. Like it's not going to necessarily be just, well, as we talk about like linear progressions forever. Uh, mm-hmm. How does recovery really come into play uh, as far as periodization goes? I think fundamentally, it uh, it sh- it shows us. With, I, I can give like a like a quote, a quick Please. talk about the general adaptation syndrome that I think most will probably have heard about, which is uh, the the syndrome that describes how the body responds to stress, or how originally how the adrenals responds to stress. Three stages: uh, initially an alarm stage characterized by stiffness and soreness. Move, then moving into a resistance stage, that's where you actually adapt and get better, improving mobility, for example. And then when if the developmental training load is maintained, uh, we move into the exhaustion stage. And the, the, according to the syndrome, the key to making progress is the timely removal of the training stressor. So when we look at we look at this, there are again we see there are periods with developmental training loads alternated with periods of removing that load and going into the recovery. So for the most foundational aspects, the developmental training loads and the, the recovery training loads are like the yin and yang of of getting better. They have to be have to be alternated. Now, what are the classic signs maybe of its okay? It's just time to be able to switch uh, that periodization where it's it's time to move on from uh, maybe a strength phase, an endurance phase, uh, a recovery phase, uh, whatever it might be. What what are those kind of things that you'll notice uh, maybe within your body or uh, with your numbers, whatever they might be, that you're going to see when it's like, okay, I'm time to change it up. Yeah, there you you can literally ask the the client on a scale of one to five or one to seven about rates of exhaustion and, and their sleep. And if it, you know, you can more or less form the scale any way you like and say one is very, very ready and seven is exhausted. And if they then gradually move towards the seven and there are studies on this, it, it indicates that they are, they're going into the exhaustion stage. Another main one is if they've made good progress and then they start to reach a plateau. That, that's a, that's another one. Small injuries, obviously. Yeah, you know, my knee starts hurting a little bit today. My Achilles hurt a little bit, or you know, whatever body part it, it could be. Those are some of the major ones. And if someone is more uh, technically minded, you know, blood samples and and um, saliva samples. I haven't I haven't looked into the details of that at the, at this point in time, but I, I know that those are tools that some some practitioners use. So, Kirsten, I'd like to even maybe shift gears a l- somewhat here and ask yeah. you, like, what are some of your, like, personal things that you like to use as far as recovery methods then maybe? Uh, or just going into maybe sleep, uh, nutrition, like, uh, how you use it for yourself. I stretch every night, for example, and I alternate stretching with self-myofascial release, which, uh, which I started because I found that it, it made me sleep better. I found that only totally by accident. Could you share the difference between maybe what a, a, the, the stretching versus the self-myofascial release would be even? So in in in, in, in stretching, uh, I do a, a flexibility exercise. So um, a, a V-split, you know, aiming to, you know, tilt the pelvis forward, having all the stretch on the adductors and, and the hamstrings and not the back. Whereas in self-myofascial release, I will rely on on one of my rollers, and I'll, I'll move move on the roller to release the, release the muscle like that. And they, they these two forms of I've, I find supplement each other extremely well. And yeah, then you said even helping me sleep better then as well. Yeah, it, it helps me sleep better, and I found that out by accident because when I moved here to Canada in two thousand and seven. 
there was a period of time where I would sometimes lie awake and I wouldn't really be able to sleep. And then one night I just, you know, why don't you, you know, I could stretch. And uh, I, I stretched my whole body in, let's say, 10 or 15 minutes. And um, I, went, I went back to bed and I'm, mm, I'm relaxed. It feels this, feels good. And I, I fell asleep. And ever since, and literally I'm not exaggerating here, every single night ever since I've been stretching. Because uh, if I wonder, oh, you know, it's too late, I don't want to stretch. I'm thinking those 10 minutes I'm going to lie awake, I could have been stretching. So literally I do it every night and and uh, and a side advantage of that. I've always had pretty good flexibility, but before I started doing that, if I wasn't warmed up, I would kind of be borderline that I could not keep my back straight if if I were doing deadlifting from the floor or squatting to parallel. Now I can now I can do that without warmed up. So it's it's easy for me to demonstrate those exercises with, without being warmed up, which is also uh, in many cases an advantage. Uh, I, I can certainly relate with, uh, I, I, I love doing my Tai Chi first or last thing before bed. Uh, so yeah. I, I think it's any of those just slow, gentle, fluid movements that just really can help uh, just like relax the body and just bring you into that unbelievable state where it's just, all right, you're ready for bed. It, it, it's an awesome feeling. Uh, and then like you said, the, the quality of sleep, the way that it can just be so enhanced from something like that is just an awesome feeling to have. It is, yeah. Then, uh, and I think I, I want to mention that because I, I really like that when you ask about recovery, and I think some a lot of, of your listeners might want to look into. It's um, a lady from California that's unfortunately not alive anymore. She's called Luann Oaks. She's a sound PhD, and she has created over about a, a ten-year period towards the end of her career. Uh, a series of audio programs which covers a lot of stuff from from quantum physics. Uh, she talks a little bit of qigong breathing, uh, reiki, sound therapy, and and all the programs have a part where she talks, and then also audio CDs. And these audio CDs are phenomenal. Uh, there are some of them I literally listen to them, some of them every day for several years. And one of the, I think one of the things that distinguishes her music from, from other types of music that, that does similar things, I'm, I'm familiar with a company called I Awake, uh, which, is, which is more geared towards brain rhythms, I think, is that because she was a sound PhD, but also a musician, she has, I think she came from, from two angles in the sense that the music, music should have a therapeutic effect, but also be interesting to listen to. So you actually, it's nice to listen to where some of the other stuff, I, I literally get bored listening to it. So that uh, I highly, highly recommend it if anybody's looking into programs like that, that, that look her up. And um, all the programs are on Amazon. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for that. I'll, and again, I'll make sure uh, to put that so everybody can check that out. Uh, okay. So you're yeah, talking about, uh, let's go off of that. Who yeah. is maybe somebody else uh, in history? that you would most like to have met? Who the what? A person in history that you would have most liked to have met. I, I like Einstein a lot. Einstein? That's actually <laughs> a common answer on this show. Okay, to yes. Talk to me. Uh, what is it about Einstein? Or what would you have wanted to ask him? I don't think I would have wanted to ask him anything in particular. I just think that he was... A, you know, with the, you are familiar with his quotes, many of the quotes that are, are very familiar, Einstein quotes, right? Well, I was going to ask you on a question on brilliant. one of them, so go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah brilliant. I don't have a, I think I've, I think I'm able to, to learn a, and extract a lot from, you know, from, from just reading people's quotes and reading the books. There, there's not a, there's not a lot of people where I could say, oh, I really would like to meet this person. There is there is one that I'm I'm fortunate I'm, I'm going to meet later this year and because um, my wife for my wife's birthday we're going to Rio because she has friends in Rio and we're going to stay there for a little bit and and one one person that she has met before is a, an elderly gentleman who has lived in the rainforest for I think he lived there for a decade and he now teaches people to move how move like the animals. And I'm I'm going to get to meet meet him, and that I really look forward to because who is you know, that? He's called Orlando Carney. Interesting. And and his 
teachings are moving like animals then? That's from what I know at this point. Anyway. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go back. Uh, since, since I think I want to say one more that might be a little less familiar. Where do. I'm really, really inspired by is a Persian poet called Rumi. Yes. That, uh, that are originally uh, uh, heard of through uh, Deepak Chopra's books and Wayne Dyer's book. Just just Google Rumi quotes and read the plethora of, of quotes there and just think about them a little bit. There, there's a lot of information in those. Rumi does they, have some beautiful quotes. Yeah, out there. and they're, they're interesting. They're totally in alignment with with quantum physics now tells us is the nature of, of the universe. Yeah. So getting back to uh, another uh, Einstein question, uh, and, and this is one that I want to ask you. Yeah. Is the universe friendly? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Why? What? What, what about uh, the universe? Do you think? Uh, why do you think it is friendly? The main reason that I have adopted that belief is I prefer that belief to the opposite. Interesting. Yes. I I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and I could also say, whoa, a really nice piece of information was was given in a book called The Holographic Universe. Where um, he he talks about a, Turin, a professor from Toronto University who had regressed a number of people through multiple lifetimes, uh, you know, through hyp- hypnosis, and they talked about you know why they came into a particular incarnation, and what they also talked about, and they they were according to how it's described in this book. They, they all said the same thing, that the purpose of physical life is to learn for the soul to grow and evolve. And that is a, that, that's, I think that's well in alignment with, with the universe being a friendly place, even though it, it doesn't always seem like that, obviously. So speaking of multiple lifetimes, uh, do you have any thoughts or theories on how many lifetimes we may live, in a physical form at least? It, it appears to be a lot. Um, I, I'm not sure. And according to this, this... I don't remember how many lifetimes he said to have regressed people through. It's, it was a lot. Interesting. Well, I, I know I've heard Paul Cech speak on, I believe it was 777. Yes, I've heard him say that too. And, so that's, yeah. and I wasn't sure if you were going to go into that or had heard anything else even through uh, reading the holographic universe because I, I think it's always something interesting to think about. But yeah. that, the, the physical life uh, is for the soul uh, to, to grow. Uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's each yeah. lifetime is going to see that successive progression and maybe even a periodization uh, mm-hmm. of it, if yes. you will. So, yes. okay, uh, what other uh, aspects of life do you think uh, could be periodized? Even I don't I don't think about it like that. But I think if you, if you think about it, you know, the life is periods, right? You know, preschool, school, work life. Yeah. <laughs> I, Yes, third age, things like that, yeah, in many cases. But I, I think about, when I say periodization, I mostly think training, even even though um, even though everything is connected somehow. I was, I was just curious to see if you had any uh, other yeah. thoughts on it. Yeah, because I no, just, no. it could really go through uh, it, anything, uh, which it, it, it is pretty could. cool to think about then. Too. Yeah, we don't... Um, I don't think we, we we're probably going to stay active uh, most of our lives, um, you know, gearing down at some point in time. But I don't plan to like retire at sixty-five because it's, uh, you know, I like I like what I do, and I think I'll keep doing it for as long as I can. So, what is the next thing that you see uh, yourself really doing in in maybe business uh, or like progressing? Uh, what are you going to be doing? How what, how are you going to be expanding on this principle of periodization for people, or any books in the other books or programs in, that you have in the works? First of all, it's it's now it's now eleven eleven manuals, and they are they're all very research based, and so for the the rest of the time I'm working, it'll be a, a very very large. Uh, job to keep them updated, so to speak, and also integrate new new principles and, and new refinements as they you know as they appear, so to speak. Uh, a, a new angle that I want to add to it is definitely the mental mental angle. Uh, we have we have notes for for a book on the mental aspect of training, which strongly centers around um, 
of utilizing the characteristics of the hologra holographic field and the, the importance of, of, uh, of consciousness, talking about how consciousness is primary in, in training aspects as well. It's, I mean, we're already starting to integrate it in the instruction as it is now. So, for example, the, the typical instruction in resistance training programs is that there is a, there's a number of repetitions and based on the training method and there's a, there's a chosen tempo as well and there's a chosen start load where, which does not allow you to perform all those repetitions continuously. So the instruction is that you do one repetition at a time with perfect form and the awareness of being strong in the breath and the body. If you can't keep that up, then you put the weights down and take typically a 10 to 20 seconds rest and you continue like that until the set is done. As long as you can continue, you can start the next cluster because this is really the cluster training principle, then you stay at the same load. If you can't start, start the next cluster feeling strong, then you reduce the load. Or if it's a body weight exercise, you go to an easier exercise. And this is, a, this is kind of an attempt to apply uh, the, the observer principle that you know whatever it is you're observing becomes visible. So what you want here, you want, we, we want to observe our strength, so to speak. We want to observe the strength that's always available rather than focusing on, on, on thoughts and feelings of weakness and limitation. That's going to be an awesome manual when that one comes out. It is in our strength manual already. That particular but just being expanded upon yeah, even more. Yeah, it's going to be expanded upon. Wow. And and a lot of it is is just you can say thoughts at this time. Um, you can say more of a like a radical thought. It goes for is from a Rumi quote actually. That if do you do you want to want me to talk about that a little Please bit? Please do yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so the quote is um, I think he refers to. The, the me in the quote means God. <clears throat> and the quote is, if you find me not within, you will never find me because I was with you from the beginning. And I think it refers to if you're looking for God somewhere out there, you will never find God, whatever someone thinks God is. But you could think about the same. You could replace me with strength. So if you think, come from the point of view, and, and we know this, if you think, okay, I'm weak, if I train long enough, I'm going to become strong, then that you're in, a, you're in a disadvantage because you're trying to become something that you're not. On the other hand, we will know the people who says, when I just look at a weight, I tend to get stronger and get bigger. They're coming from another point of view. So what, what we try to install in people is that Everybody has the potential for the same amount of strength. And I, I didn't come up with that idea. To a large extent, you can say training is really, and this is, you can say, one thought I have at the time, and, and I, I realized it sounds radical. The purpose of training to a large extent is just to refine your consciousness, to so make it easy to believe that I can actually do this. Okay, so I have a bit of a question that's out there, I guess, then. On yes. This. I, I just, it's easier for me to just put it in a, personal uh, question i guess so do i have to physically train or could i mentally just train and if i if i i, I personally i love to deadlift yes to be able to have a three times body weight deadlift yes now i've i've gotten very close to this but i've never quite gotten to that would it be possible in in your thoughts to never touch a bar uh but still be able to do that after enough mental training and go pick up the bar and then do that? Theoretically, yes, because one of the things the, the, the field says, the theory of the field, and, and you read the book called The Field, is that everything that has ever existed or ever could exist, exists as potentiality. And you know, there's no place and there's no time, so everything exists everywhere. So the, the, the quantum potential, like some people will say, or... I rephrased it a little bit to say the quantum reality where you deadlift a triple bodyweight deadlift is is available wherever you are at the moment. It's, 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 it's everywhere. And I could also say, I don't think a lot of people will have that 
refined consciousness to be able to do that. And that's that's why I would never recommend anybody <laughs> to only do that, right? It's it just make and, and also I think that's that's the point of it. One of the reasons that we deadlift is also we like deadlifting. We like literally like the feeling of it, the the physicality of it. So I think the fastest way is is to visualize, which there's also a lot of good research on that, that can make people stronger uh, in and without training, at least in, in short-term studies. Uh, together with training is the fastest way to the triple body. That combination. That combination, yes. Uh, and I can see that, like where, where you're coming from with that, but I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. The If you could just do mental for whatever type of training uh, it would be. And... Going off that, I would probably argue. It, I mean, we're we're speaking specifically to training, um, yeah. but you could do the same thing with your your sleep, with your business, with your just what you want to look like physically. I mean, so yeah. on and so forth. I'm sure. Uh, I'm not saying it would be easy, uh, no. but if you like you said, really refine that consciousness, it certainly is possible. As stated by the field, everything is here. Uh, we can yeah. use it all. Whenever, yeah, yeah, and I, and I think that is a it's actually something I, I intend to write an article about very soon. Uh, people can be strong in different ways. So a lot of people they they see strength training as a metaphor for overcoming obstacles, like you know, then they take pride in overcoming obstacles, and no, nothing nothing wrong about that. Because you know you can really you can you can do whatever you want, so to speak. On the other hand, I think if someone really wants to go down the the, the spiritual route, you got to see more uh, strength as a, as an opportunity to display the the effortless power of the divine, so to speak. Does that make sense? There's this uh, I think it's part of the Saint Francis prayer. You, and you, you, you I, I don't know all the details of it, but it's something about Father. Let me be an instrument of Thy, and then you can fill in the blank, right? If you approach strength that way, you realize you've got to come more from, from an effortless point of view. That if you if you want to be like Wayne Dyer talks a lot about, you want to be like the source. You can't imagine God struggling to create the universe, <laughs> right? Overcoming the obstacle of creating the universe. So in this case, you, you got to, and, and this is actually the difficult thing about many things is to realize how easy it could be or, or more or less how effortless it could be. And, and also that effortless is by no means the same as easy because it's very challenging to try to accomplish something without effort. So and I don't mean lying on the couch here waiting for everything just to fall down in your lap. Kirsten, I, one one question that I'd like to ask people, and I think this actually really relates to what we're talking about right now, is what is something people can do right now, and I usually say simplify their health, but it could be just even simplify their training, um, that they're just currently overcomplicating way too much. Simplifying which one of those, because it would be... Either, either one, whether you would want to go into simplifying their health, simplifying, or their, specifically their training or their periodization that we've been talking about. Yeah, and one question that that I sometimes use in training is to say, if you were to do one exercise, which would it which would it be? I like that using the one thing principle. Yeah, yeah. And what would be your one exercise then? That would depend on someone's goal. Uh, for you personally, even. Oh, for me personally, yeah. it would probably be the deadlift. I like okay. the deadlift too. Yeah, it's just fun. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, it's fun. And in terms of, of programming, you could go a lot of ways, but a, a more of a memorable way, uh, which I learned from Chad Waterbury. Can't really say you know where it would lead you to, but that would be a way of applying periodization without thinking too much about it. It is to reverse the sets and the reps. So let's say you've done three sets of 10 for a period of time, then you switch it, and now you do 10 sets of three. If you just look at it like the numbers and you, you switch the sets and the reps, that's definitely, you don't have to think too much about it, uh, too much about what you're doing in that case. Yeah, that's, and, that's and you're, you're going to end up with a, <clears throat> with another type of program for sure. Uh, yeah, certainly changing it up. And I, I, I like that because some people, they're like, I don't want to necessarily go in 
into all the detail, but no. hey, there's a very simple way to do it. Uh, I, I think that's great. Yeah, and you you don't have to go into a lot of detail to apply periodization. Overall, uh, our our first manual, which is called Periodization Simplified, uh, after not a simplified description of the principle, but after the description of each principle, which is about five pages, there are three application questions. And the application questions is designed to allow a trainer or a practitioner to apply that principle without a written training program. That's why we call it simplified. Someone could literally, you know, open the manual, see the 18 principles and see which one of them they might feel attracted to based on the current client, read the principle, apply the application questions and, and then go for it. That makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. a very simple way to do it. And I guess for a practitioner, a trainer, or probably even somebody who's just looking to modify their training, that's probably a great way to go about it. It could be. It could be. They are, as you be honest, the manuals are not written for, they're written for certified trainers or practitioners. Okay. Because some of the wording, you know, re requires that, that you know what it means. Some, for example, I'm not explaining what flexion is or extension and, and, and things like that, or I'm not explaining that what aerobic means and anaerobic. So it re if you're not a certified trainer, you have to have read similar material in order to understand the, understand the stuff. Yeah, and thank you for clarifying. Yeah, do you have even any uh, resources that people can use to kind of get that base knowledge before they would go uh, looking into a lot of your periodization manuals and principles? The the one that I've had for the longest and is is most widely available is probably Essentials of Strength Training and Conditioning. There are uh, I think um, NASM has a similar book. Uh, ACSM has a similar book. Um, Super training is also a great book, but that's that's more of a challenging read. That's a little more complicated. <laughs> yeah, more of a challenging read. Yeah. All right. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So, Carson, what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health currently? I would. I don't think. Uh, I don't think of it in in terms of struggles. Really, the biggest thing that I am am I, I don't have a problem eating healthy uh, or anything of like that. I have a very, very overall, a very free and stress-free life. So nobody overall tells me what to do. Anything we do have a lot of uh, a lot of writing. So there's always, you know, some writing that that should be finished relatively soon. Uh, my main goal, which is what I work on on most days, is is to, like Wayne Dyer also puts it, uh, to to switch the whole basis of my thinking. So instead of coming from and living as the small self, so identifying with you know my accomplishment, my positions, my this and my that, uh, identify uh, with the I am presence, and continuously switch into into the I am presence and and live from that point. I think you also sometimes call it vertical time as opposed to horizontal time. So I continuously try to switch for from that when I have an awareness of uh, what I. I'm supposed to do for the rest of the day or next week and this month is switch into the present moment and being aware of, of how the present moment is created again and again and again and again. I, I love that. Uh, and that's something that I'm sure uh, a lot of people do struggle with is staying present in whatever moment they may be uh, experiencing at the time. Yeah. And the, the, I must say the best technique uh, I have found so far is, uh, is using what I, what I learned from uh, a David Hawkins. Guys familiar, are you familiar with David Hawkins? No, I'm not. He's, he's mostly famous for the book called uh, The um, Power Versus Force. Okay. But he has about 10 books. And this one was also recommended to me. I, I learned it from a Wayne Dyer lecture. That's, that's what I've gotten from a lot of his lectures, the books he mentions. So this, this book is called The Pathway of Surrender. And surrender, as he describes, is really another application of the observer effect. So it means if you, when you have negative emotions, the, the surrender principle is literally just watch them and don't try to modify them. And then according to him, and I think it's true, I've, I've done it for, I think, six months now, you know, whenever I think of it, is um, it's true. It, they, they do disappear, but this is what really can bring you into the moment is that you surrender the body. So you literally just watch 
the body and watch the energy behind the body. And I, and I realized that whenever I, th- I think, it, uh, it, it's, it's tension in the neck area. So if I surrender the neck area, so for example, I just watch the neck area and I can't think at the same time. So it, it, shuts, it shuts down the, the brain, so to speak. It's, it's the best technique I've, I've tried so far. That sounds really cool. And I can completely relate to what you're talking about. Yeah, any of those areas in your body that, and again, it still comes down to, you still have to feel, you still have to be present with your body to be able to recognize those. But uh, yeah. doing so can have a profound impact upon your presence. It can, yeah. So Carson, one of the last questions uh, yeah. ask everybody who comes on the show is, who would you want to hear on this podcast? And what would you want to ask them or hear them talk about? Bruce Lipton. Okay. And I would like him to talk about how everything he talks about in, in terms of, of genetics, how that would apply to to fitness training, and strength and conditioning. Interesting. So what do you think he would say on the topic? I he think he might say some of the things we've we've said here. Yeah. If you said that, you know, that the genes are controlled by your beliefs, that you know, if when you control your beliefs and control your subconscious mind, then you really, you really, at least theoretically, you have unlimited potential. Very good. I'll have to, I know the name uh, Bruce Lipton. I'm trying to remember the book. Right? Doesn't he have a big Biology of Belief? Was his first book. Thank you. Yeah. And then in the latest, he has called the Honeymoon Effect. Which okay. I haven't, I haven't read. Okay. Very good. I'll have to check. He seems like the guy that I might say yes if you called him up. I'll, I'll have to check but out I'm see, not if, sure. see if yeah, he's interested. Yeah. I'd love to hear his thoughts. Uh, yeah. So, Carson, in closing, where, where can our listeners find more about you uh, online if they want to find more about your manuals, every, all of your work then too? Uh, our website is called yes2strength.com. And everything will be available there for them? Everything is available there. Uh, how to contact us on email, uh, our phone number, uh, all our manuals, our social media accounts. We're also on Facebook if someone prefers that. You can just put my name in. in and if, if you if someone has a training related profile, I will I will say yes as a friend. I use it I use it professionally. I don't use it privately uh, really. So if someone sure. wants to become my friend and doesn't have a training related profile, I, I don't say yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So finally what uh what can the listeners and and I both do uh to just help you out in any way right now? Uh, start thinking about periodization, thinking about what you know already, uh, thinking about, uh, I, I don't think necessarily I would say, okay, make sure to buy my book and things like that, <laughs> because I do think the right way, the right way to approach your education, which, which I originally learned from Paul Check, is to look at your daily practice and see which component of your daily practice do you have the most questions. And then, you know, that's the, f- you know, that's the book you should read. That's the next workshop you should take. But but at least realize that, you know, yes, you if you are creating programs for someone, yes, you are paradising. And it's it's a matter of how you're doing it and and um and what results you're getting from it. Excellent. Thank you. So for anybody with uh, any of those daily practice questions on periodization, which I'm sure is quite a few of you out there, make yeah. sure go check out yes Check out some of the manuals. Please, yeah, go ahead, Carson. Sorry, actually, if someone has a question about periodization, I would like to answer it. Um, and so you can email me through the website. Great, there you go. Everybody, I don't have to buy anything for <laughs> because I'm I'm very interested in what what the thoughts and concerns and objections trainers have to periodization. So that's also that that's that's my workshop, really. Perfect. Answering questions like that. So anybody who's looking to get those questions answered, head over to yesstrength.com, check yes. it out, send an email, check out all of the, the manuals, uh, the, the periodization on the more of the uh, mobility, the flexibility is uh, something that I'm certainly interested in myself. So Carson, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It was, it was a great chat today. Likewise, Nick. Likewise. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get your top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts to help you simplify your health journey. While you're there, 
go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Also, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. Thank you.